Have you ever felt like that you were being persecuted or discriminated against because of your religious beliefs? Have you ever, for instance, felt like because of your faith you were being singled out in a crowd of people, uh, maybe picked on, unfairly or unjustly being treated because of the position that you take in regards to your faith and your service to God? On account of your convictions, maybe have you felt unable to participate in things that other people were doing? Have you ever felt that way? Well, uh, I think surely all of us felt that way at some point in some different fashion. In fact, I would argue that if you haven't felt that way at some time or another in your life, there's probably something wrong with your spiritual service to God. Because as the world becomes more and more corrupt and wicked, we, we are going to stand out more in contrast. And so you should, of course, have had that experience. Now, it's not a pleasant thing. Uh, it's, not, it's not a thing that we necessarily enjoy, but it is obviously a reality in the world that we're living in. And so having experienced those sort of things uh, to some measure, perhaps we can have a, a sense of uh, connection with the men that we want to study in our lesson this morning. We want to study in our lesson the very familiar story uh, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Caleb read for us part of that story, and, and it's in the book of Daniel, of course. And I encourage you to be turning to Daniel chapter 3 as we study about their situation. Uh, again, it's a familiar story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our children study it in their Bible classes. Uh, we sing a song about it with the kids. Uh, but it's a powerful lesson for all of us. And we hope to be reminded of some of those truths as we talk about that briefly this morning. Thank you all for being here very much. We appreciate your presence. Uh, uh, and we're glad that we have this time to be together to worship God. Uh, as Anthony already expressed, we're grateful for our visitors. We want you to come back every time you have a chance. We're very open to your questions. If you have any questions about what we're doing here at College View or why we're doing it this way, uh, please ask us. We'd be anxious to sit down and talk with you about what we believe the Bible teaches and how we think we should be serving God uh, to be acceptable in His sight. But thank you all for being here today. Let's talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the background of this story, of course. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were among some young men who were taken captive uh, from Israel. They were Israelites. They'd been taken captive uh, as Nebuchadnezzar was was taking over Judah. Uh, the southern kingdom of Judah was under attack by the Babylonians. Three different times they took captives away before the city of Jerusalem was eventually totally destroyed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were among the first of those who were taken captive. The year probably would have been 606 or 605 B.C., uh, when they were taken captive. They were specifically taken captive because the Babylonians had this practice of selecting certain individuals, individuals, then training them in their own ways. In other words, take captive people, bring them to Babylon, teach them and train them in the way of the Babylonians, and sort of incorporate them into the empire. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were those who, among those who were chosen. We know, a, we know another of them who was in that group, of course, was the man Daniel himself. Well, as time went on, they were actually elevated to positions of authority in the Babylonian government. Uh, but as time went on, you remember Nebuchadnezzar had a, a dream. It's recorded in chapter 2 of the book of Daniel. And it really troubled him, and he couldn't get an interpretation of his dream until Daniel was consulted 
And Daniel was able to give an interpretation of that dream. The dream was the dream of a great image, you remember, made up of different kinds of metal. So when you get to chapter 3 of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 3, uh, Nebuchadnezzar constructed an image. Uh, and it says uh, in uh, Daniel chapter 3, uh, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, it doesn't say precisely so, but almost everybody, I think, is of the opinion that this image that Nebuchadnezzar set up was a representation of the image that he had seen in his dream, perhaps. I don't know, I wouldn't fall out with anybody for disagreeing about that point. But at the very least, uh, he commanded that this image that he had constructed should be worshipped. It goes on to say there in, in chapter 3 of Daniel, uh, the order was put out that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, sultry, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worship shall be the same hour cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So the command of Nebuchadnezzar made it this great image. The command was put out, you've got to worship it. And at a, at, at the specific, uh, uh, time and the signal being given when different kinds of music were uh, played, the purpose of it was to tell all the people fall down and worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar had constructed. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not about to do so. They were servants of God, the God of heaven. They knew the one true God, and they weren't going to fall down to an idol. And so, word got back to Nebuchadnezzar, these men... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not doing what you said they're supposed to do. When they hear the music, they're not falling down to worship the image. And so we skip down to verse 15. Nebuchadnezzar basically gives them a second chance. Uh, now he says, now be, be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. And if you do well... But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God that shall deliver you out of my hands? So, basically, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to give you one more chance here. And you be ready. And you be prepared. And when you hear that music, I'm telling you now, you better fall down and worship that idol. Because if you don't, now this is your last chance. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you right into that burning fiery furnace. That's what he said, right? And so the answer, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And so from that passage, uh, we've got a verse out of order here. From that passage, we take our title for our study this morning, Our God, He Will Deliver Us. When Nebuchadnezzar gave them that second chance, they said, no, we're not going to take this second chance, King Nebuchadnezzar, and you can throw us in the fiery furnace if you want to, because we believe that our God, He will deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. But what's so amazing about their statement is that, and even if He doesn't, even if He chooses not to, we are not going to fall down and worship your idol. Well, of course... This infuriated King Nebuchadnezzar. You've got to imagine a king as powerful as Nebuchadnezzar was 
with all, with all the power that he possessed. And here are these three guys opposing him and resisting him and refusing to obey him. Uh, verse 19 says, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his vision changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one, uh, that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. So, in other words, this furnace has a, has sort of, I guess we would call it a design capacity. You can make it so hot. This is likely a furnace maybe to, to smelt iron ore, to make metals. For whatever purpose, you can make it so hot. It's made to be that hot. He had to make it hotter, seven times hotter than it was expected to be. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. So he did. you got to say, Nebuchadnezzar is going to keep his word here. He's going to do what he said, and he throws them in the fiery furnace. Uh, so, verse 21 these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fire was so hot that the fellows who threw them in died of the exposure to heat uh, that they suffered. But what happened? You know the story. Verse 23, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down and bound into the midst of the fiery, burning fire furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Uh, in, into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So they were not harmed by the fire. It even goes on to describe that even the smell of the smoke wasn't on their garments when they came out. And the result of the whole story, skip down to verse 28. So Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. And so the great king Nebuchadnezzar ends up confessing God as a result of the example set by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We just want to make some simple observations. Again, a very familiar story to us. We know it well. Uh, we just want to sort of imagine ourselves in the, in the position of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Try to think about what they might have considered, how they might have approached this very situation. Uh, maybe think about how they could have rationalized their situation. Now, I think this is a lesson that's especially appropriate for young people. These were these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were uh, uh, almost certainly of young age. They would have been taken as young people from Judah into the captivity, uh, probably no more than teenagers when they were taken captive. We don't know how much later this was, but here are some young people taking a stand for God. And so for our young people this morning, we'd especially encourage you to think about the worthy example set by these three brave men. For instance, how might they have rationalized? They could have started out by thinking, listen, there's only three of us. What can three people do? I mean, this is the Babylonian Empire. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. These are the most powerful people on earth. Uh, and we're just three humble servants. 
How can it be expected of us? We're just three. What can just three people do in comparison to what we're up against? What good could three accomplish? In all the realm of Babylon, apparently only these three uh, were resisting the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, the question could be asked, where were the other Jews at this time? Other Jews had been taken captive too. Why weren't some of them standing up? Here, there, there were some other children of God who had been taken in captivity. Why weren't they standing up with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego? It would have very much made them feel we're alone in this. In this, in this that we're, that we're expected to do, we're just three. We're just three. How can three accomplish anything? The question is sometimes asked, by the way, where was Daniel in all of this? And the, and the Bible doesn't give an answer. You have to believe that Daniel would have been with them if he had been in the situation that confronted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know, and many have speculated maybe he was uh, away from Babylon on other business uh, because he too had been elevated to a position of governmental authority. We just don't know. But the fact of the matter is the only three named who resisted this command of Nebuchadnezzar were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they could very well think, we're just three. How can we accomplish anything? Uh, in, in opposition to so much. You know, I think that we might try to rationalize that way too. For instance, uh, you young people as, as students at school, you're just, you're, you're sort of standing alone uh, against all the, uh, that others are doing. Or maybe when you're on the job and, and you're trying to do the right thing, but nobody else is. Uh, maybe in our community. You know, you start to think about it. Uh, God's faithful people, even in this community, are a really distinct minority. Just a handful, really, in comparison to so many others who don't care anything at all for God. What can just a few people expect to do when everybody else is going a different way? I want to suggest to you that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego speak to that. Here's three people, just three. And yet look at what they were able to accomplish. Really, as we study through the Scriptures, we find that God has always been able to accomplish great things with a few people. You know, after Jesus had been crucified on the cross of Calvary, uh, 11 apostles were left. In fact, the total number of disciples that are, are, are numbered in the first chapter of Acts, just 120 people. Well, what, are, what are you going to do with 120 people in a, in a whole world of unbelief? Well, look what they were able to accomplish uh, they started preaching the gospel, 3,000 obeyed. A few days later, 10,000 had obeyed the gospel. And within their lifetime, the gospel spread throughout the known world of that day, Colossians 1.23 says. And so, a few can do a lot. And so, for you young people, or for any of us who think that we're in such a small minority here, we're not going to be able to do anything because our numbers are so small. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no, you can do a lot. And so, don't Try to rational, rationalize away your responsibility by saying we're just so few in number. Another argument they could have made is we're young. And what can the young do? Now, as we said earlier, remember that these, these were young men, uh, as we said, likely taken as captives uh, when they were just teenagers or, or uh, in that order of time. Uh, there's this notion uh, it is certainly prevalent now, and it possibly was so back then, that you can't expect too much from young people. They're young, after all. Uh, 
And, you know, there's this expectation that maybe when they get older, they'll do better. But when they're young, you can't expect too much. I think that possibly that was a prevalent idea even back then, because as we said, among those other young captives who had been taken with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where are they? Why are some of the other young people who were taken, some of the, the princes and the, the offspring or the descendants of princes and nobles in Judah had been taken captive, where are they? Well, they're not standing up with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and so the, that might lend evidence to the idea that they viewed things the same way people today view things, and that is you can't expect much out of young people. They're young, after all. Um, there, there's some expectation that young people must sow their wild oats, and maybe when they get older, they will do better. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say not so. That is not so. That God expects his people, young or old, to do the right thing and to stand up for what's right. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego proved to us that young people can accomplish great things in service to God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, you remember, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. God expects all, young and old, uh, to be faithful to him. Young people can do a lot. You young people, please understand that there's so much powerful good that you can do for the cause of Christ. And there's an expectation from God that you will do so. Do not excuse yourself because you are young. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not. Furthermore, again, we're we're thinking about how they might have tried to rationalize, excuse uh, themselves so that they didn't have to take a stand. They might have said, well, listen... We're far away from home, and we just wonder how, how much is going to be expected of us. We've suffered a lot already. Uh, I mean, we've, we've been plucked out of our homeland and away from our families, and we've been put into this foreign situation, and, uh, you know, how, how much more is going to be expected of us? How can all of this sort of thing be expected uh, of us? These were difficult times. Uh, I think you could agree that if you put yourself in their shoes, these were not easy circumstances. These were trying circumstances. They've been put through a lot already. And perhaps they could have justified themselves by saying, well, listen, we've done a lot already. You know, we've done some good stuff. And so far, we've been doing pretty good. Uh, And so maybe God will just look the other way now because these are hard times. We're away from home in bad circumstances. And we just, just don't imagine that God would expect too much of us. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think that God does not demand faithfulness under difficult circumstances? You think that's, you, you really want to take that position? That if when times really get tough, God does give you a pass. When times are really tough, God will excuse you. You, you won't be expected to do well in really trying circumstances. You think that's so? Well, if you think that's so, I would just argue you need to rethink that position. Because if that's the case, if, if God does, if God sort of gives you a pass when times get tough, He lets, He lets you slide. If that's really the case, I would argue we got no Bible heroes left. Because if all, because who are the Bible heroes? Uh, who are the great ones like Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah and Peter and Paul and all the rest? Who are the heroes? They're the ones who stood up when the times were tough, right? That's what made them our heroes of the faith, is that when it was really hard, 
they did the right thing. And so uh, this is this is a failed attempt to excuse yourself. And you say, well, I, I, I've tried to do pretty good, uh, but these are really this is really a tough circumstance, and so I, I, I think God will will excuse me. No, that is not the case. It did, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't think that way, and we can't think that way either. Well, someone says, everybody's doing it, and why should we be different from everybody else? You know this argument. We've talked about it plenty of times in the past. The, the excuse is that since it is what everyone's doing, therefore, it, I, if I go along, it will be all right as well. Everybody's doing it. Why should we be different? I think there's sort of a natural tendency to think that way, to blend in, to be ex, ex, uh, accepted by the others who are around us. But we know, don't we? We know that God expects us, He even demands us to be different from the world around us. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We can't just say, everybody's doing it, therefore it's okay if we do it. Uh, really, if if you allowed that kind of reasoning, there'd be no stopping point, really. And and I think we're seeing the fruit of that in our society today. Society becomes more and more wicked, so people follow just follow right along. Anybody can do that, right? There's nothing special about that. But to be different, like God calls you to be different, that's the hard test, and that's what we're going to... So even, even acknowledging this to be true, it was true for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody else was doing it, with the exception of those three. Everybody's doing it. God still expected them to be different, and He expects us to be different as well. Someone else could say, listen, if we don't bow down to this idol, like Nebuchadnezzar is commanding, we have every reason to believe that he will follow through with his word and he'll throw us into the fiery furnace and we'll be killed. And if that happens, what good will it be for God if we are killed? Uh, you know, I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a full sense of understanding they would be killed. I don't think there was no doubt in their mind. I don't think they had any doubt in their mind that Nebuchadnezzar would do exactly what he said that he would throw them in the fiery furnace. You know, I don't think they were saying, you know, they got, they kind of huddled together and they said, listen, I don't think he'll do it. I, you know, I, I think when push comes to shove, he'll back down. He's not gonna, he's gonna gotta take us and throw us in the fiery furnace. So let's, uh, you know, don't worry about it. There's no, I don't think there was any such conversation like that among themselves. They knew what kind of man Nebuchadnezzar was and they knew if you oppose him, you're going in the fiery furnace. They didn't have any doubt about that. And so they could have reasoned, well, if we die, what good will that be? If we die, what good will we be for God if we are dead? I suppose that's sort of interesting reasoning. Uh, uh, and it might have been what others were thinking, because as we said, everybody else was bound down to the idol. Yet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not make that argument. And, and and I think we've all been so encouraged by the, their words when they said, you can, you can throw us in the fiery furnace if you want to. We believe our God is a God who can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not bound down. Read those words again in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, 
Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, we're not timid to tell you how we feel about this. We are, we are not afraid. We are not careful. We're not just mincing words. We're not tippy-toeing around this subject. We're going to tell you how it is. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, and even if he doesn't, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Man, what powerful words, and what a great example. Uh, let me ask you a question. What if they had died? What if, and they were prepared to, it's clear from what we just read, they were prepared to. What if they had died? Well, if they had died, they'd still stand as a great example to us, wouldn't they? If they had given their lives in service to God, it would still be a great lesson. I mean, we learn from those who laid down their lives. The expression in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, describes Abel, he being dead yet speaketh. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had died, they'd still be speaking to us and giving us a great lesson as to what God's people what God's faithful people ought to do in tough circumstances. Are you beginning to get the idea that no excuse works? <laughs> I mean, you, you think of all these kinds of excuses that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have offered, and we're seeing none of those kinds of excuses would have worked for them. They wouldn't work for them. They won't work for us either. Finally, let me suggest they could have argued this way. It's only an idol. What will, it, what will it hurt if we just sort of go through the motions here, you know? Um, I think you could see how this might have been a form of rationalizing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have said, listen, it's just an idol. We know it's just an idol. It's just some metal that Nebuchadnezzar has thrown up there and fashioned it into a shape, but it's just, it's just inanimate metal. It's just man's engraving in metal what will it hurt if we go through these motions? We know, we know it's just an idol, that there's, there's nothing to it. God knows that it, there's nothing to it. It's just a metal idol. We know that, God knows that. And, by the way, God knows our hearts. You know? And if we just go through the motions, God knows that we're not sincere about that. God knows that we're just doing it to be accommodating to Nebuchadnezzar. He knows our hearts. He knows that we really love him. And we're just doing this just for appearances sake. God knows our hearts. And so it will be okay. It won't hurt if we just go through the motions. What would you say to that? I think you'd have to agree again that the answer is no, that won't work. You know, it's such a popular argument in our world today that uh, we should serve God uh, with our heart, and as long as we are sincere, that it doesn't really matter what we do specifically, just as long as we have sincere hearts. You know, be true to God in heart, and the specifics of what you do don't matter. Well, again, this case proves otherwise. So, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what do you think of them? Well, I'm going to say we mentioned just a few moments ago the idea of Bible heroes. i got to tell you, these three rank way up there high on the list of Bible heroes, wouldn't you agree? And again, as we read earlier, the outcome of that whole story was because they stood up and did the right thing, King Nebuchadnezzar made the decree 
that every, this is chapter 3, verse 29, every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, their houses made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. The great King Nebuchadnezzar was made to acknowledge God and commanded it throughout the Babylonian Empire because just three, just three young men far away from home made the determination to do different from what everybody else was doing, did not excuse themselves with any kind of flimsy arguing. They took a stand. They did the right thing. And the whole Babylonian Empire was made to acknowledge the true God of heaven. So, what about us? I think certainly we can draw lessons from them. Our case is not like theirs at all, really. I mean, none of us have ever been threatened in the way that they were threatened. But we are called upon day by day to take a stand for God. We hope that their example will serve to re-motivate us to take that right stand for God. Are you right with that God of heaven this morning? Uh, if you are a child of God, but you've not been doing like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, you've not been standing up, doing the right thing, even when it's hard to do it, if you, if you realize that you've slipped and fallen away from faithfully serving your God as a Christian, we urge you to come back in repentance, confession, prayer. We'd love to pray with you and for you this morning. You can leave this place once again in a right relationship with God. If you're not a Christian yet, if you've not obeyed the simple gospel plan of salvation, and we urge you to do that. Upon hearing the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song. Oh, good.